Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Cara. Hi, Vanessa. So I gave a talk the other night about the conversations that you need to have with kids throughout their lives. And one of the parents said to me, what are the conversations I need to have with my kid like before they go out on a particular night? Not the overtime many talks conversations, but what are the really specific things I need to make sure I hit before my teen goes out for the night? Like tactical. Like brass tacks, which is my new favorite. I think it might be like in the book one or too many times, but we'll deal with that. Sorry, in the book that you and I wrote that's coming out in October. Brass tacks, which no one uses anymore, but I remember them from my youth. (laughs) But I'm really into it as a term. I'm so nostalgic. You're nostalgic, I was going to say. Retro Vanessa. And it's like brass. She was like, literally give me the list. And I said, I'm not going to do it now, but I promise you we will do an episode on the Puberty Podcast about our top five conversations to have. Now, this is not an exhaustive list and Cara and I might have slightly different lists, but we're going to give you our combined top five. And drum roll, please. The number one conversation to have with your teen in 2023 before they go out for the night is, Cara? Well, it's fentanyl, but it's really actually the bigger umbrella group of 
substances, drugs and substances, because for kids who are a little bit younger, the conversation may aim towards things like edibles that you don't recognize are edibles, which is less about the fentanyl concern and more about the, maybe the THC ingestion concern. Right. Or vapes or jewels or pens or, you know, drinks that they accidentally pick up. There are all sorts of things that kids will come across and they don't realize what it is. And their instinct is to taste it, try it, test it. Um, or they're bef- hungry and they see a gummy bear on a counter. Or, and they, they, think it's, it. or they think it's candy. Yeah. So I love how, can I just stop and say, I love how we start with number one. It's such a pet peeve of mine when people start with number five and work their <laughs> way up like they want to hold you in. If you have five minutes for this podcast... You want to know the number one most important thing to talk to your kid about as they're heading out the door in 2023. We just gave it to you. It's substances and it's in particular, it's fentanyl. There's a convergence of a variety of factors that make fentanyl and counterfeit pills or not taking somebody else's prescription pills. Like there's all these forces at work. Many more kids are medicated and have their own prescriptions for ADHD or anxiety or depression, there's a familiarity for kids that there is prescription medication around and people are prescribed it. Then there are the counterfeit And it's pills. not for you if it's not prescribed for you. And Let's it's not for you even circle. if it was prescribed to someone else, which is part of the conversation. So that's a conversation you have with your fifth grader who may have a friend on ADHD medication. Hey, you're going for a sleepover. And it may be common knowledge this kid is medication. Or you say, if there's any medication in the house, that's medication for that person and that family. It's not funny to try or test it. It's dangerous. Please don't take any medication from someone else. And you have it with a fifth grader, a seventh grader, a ninth grader, a college kid, right? I mean, that's a hundred time over conversation. Older kids, it sounds differently because we do know that adolescents and college kids and young adults take other people's prescription medication recreationally, or, and here's the second part of the importance of this convergence of issues, or they buy counterfeit versions of these pills, Xanax, Percocet, Ritalin, so on and so forth. And we know from Dolly Clock and the CDC and the DEA that 40% of counterfeit pills contain fentanyl. And the risk of fentanyl poisoning is so high because it takes a minuscule amount of fentanyl in one counterfeit pill to poison someone. And so it's not just about someone else's real medication. It's about someone else's counterfeit medication. It's about not taking a pill, even from a friend who claims they got it from somewhere okay, right? This is, as Cara said, these are the layers of conversations that we have with kids about drugs, about pills, and specifically about fentanyl. And one adjacent topic is Narcan. So if you're having this super quick conversation (laughs) with your kid as they're heading out the door, um, one thing you might want to have thought about ahead of time is whether you want to have your child have Narcan, which is the drug that reverses the effect of fentanyl. It's an anti-opiate. It's what the paramedics have. It's now available in many areas over the counter and you can just go into the pharmacy and ask for it. There are other places where I think you still need a prescription. It's a little bit gray. And it's funny, I was um, 
I was with my old partner from practice who I see all the time and I love and adore. And we were talking about this and like who should have Narcan and when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate to give it to a kid. It's a very personal decision, but as the kids get older and older, I think it's more and more appropriate to think about arming your kids with Narcan. And she was saying that she's been hearing the cost of Narcan has gone up tremendously and that it can be around $120 or $130 for a bottle of nasal spray Narcan, which becomes prohibitively expensive for many people. So that's not a walk out the door conversation have, but a sort of a bigger, longer term conversation as your kids get older, do they feel comfortable having the antidote on Mm -hmm. hand? And what are all the parameters around that? And then is it something that you can access and you can afford? And so the conversation with a teen before they go out, a conversation about fentanyl sounds like this. Hey, I know that I talk to you about drugs and alcohol all the time. And like, I may be starting to sound like wah, 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 but I need you to look at me and listen to me for one second. This will take a really short amount of time. Please do not take a pill from anyone else, even if it's a good friend, even if they claim it's their prescription. Do not take it because you never know and it could contain fentanyl and that is deadly. So please. And like it's it's literally acknowledge that you sound like a broken record to them. Acknowledge of all the scenarios you can think of, the most likely one for them to do, which is like, hey, my friend's handing me this pill, right? And just make sure they know how serious and dangerous it is. The way I have put it to my kids, because you know I'm the probably the single most risk-averse human on the planet Earth, I have said to them, I am okay with you having more fun, whatever that means, than I had growing up, but fentanyl scares the hell out of me. Yeah. And my kids hear that. They understand that it's not me being Debbie Downer. It's me being realistic Rachel. I just made that up. Okay. Oh my God, Um, that's painful. Okay. So let's move. Speaking of, you know, really comfortable conversations, the next conversation, and I should say conversations over and over, over many years and with different levels, increasing levels of sophistication is the conversation around consent. But it can be many conversations over many years. And it also can be on that list of very short things as they're walking out the door. Yes, 100%. It doesn't, I don't mean to check off the list. I don't mean it's a four hour conversation. I just mean this is not a one and done conversation because the conversation with a 13 year old heading to a bar mitzvah party is very different than the conversation with a 20 year old heading to a fraternity party. One thing that we learned from Abella Onyema about consent and about healthy relationships is it's as much about someone wanting something and also someone being able to hear another person's no. So it's both the yes and the no. We work really hard not to gender consent because it happens across same sex genders. It's across male to female, non-binary. Everybody gets involved in the issue of consent. So we don't want to gender it. We don't want it to be offense, defense. People talk about enthusiastic consent and, you know, silence is not consent. You want to make sure that people really listen. And we do have a whole episode around beginner conversations about consent. So you can listen to that. But essentially, a conversation that I have had in my house is 
if you're not sure if the person wants to be sexually involved with you, if you're not sure if they've been drinking, if you're not sure they're in a state, it's never worth it. There will always be another opportunity to be intimate with someone else. If you have any doubt in your mind, even if the person said, okay, it's never worth risking that. And for those who have kids in their lives who are in relationships, who call someone their boyfriend or their girlfriend, don't be fooled by the semantics of that. The consent conversation continues to be critical. And so to say to them, hey, I'm just checking in that when you are with so-and-so, that they are asking you and you are asking them if this is what you want. And in fact, a corollary conversation that becomes very important is the conversation about how when you are in a relationship with someone, one of the signs of a healthy relationship is being able to say what you are and aren't comfortable with, which is hard when you layer on the fact that some people, many people don't even know what they want. They've not tried something. They've not, you know, physically experimented in a certain way, you know, they've never, maybe they've never had sex. Maybe they've never, you know, whatever it is. And, and so it's hard to ask them to be clear about what they want when they may not know what they want. But having that conversation is important. If you're not sure, or if you can't talk it through with the person that you are in a quote relationship with, that's a good sign that maybe the relationship needs a little bit of a reassessment. So don't kid yourself that if your kid is in a really loving relationship, they don't need the consent conversation. And role-playing with kids, what it would sound like for them to get out of a situation, right? If they're with someone they're just hooking up with that night, or if they're with a partner, what are some ways that they can relieve themselves of being in that situation? And Sometimes that sounds like throwing a parent under the bus, right? My mom, I promised my mom I'd call her. I'm in so much trouble. I got to go. Or, you know, someone's giving me a ride and I got to get out of here and they're waiting for me. Or our intern suggested some other really great language, things like, that doesn't feel good. Can we try something else? Or I'm not really into that tonight. Let's talk about it another time. So, what we have taught kids over the years about consent that sounds kind of like, get off me, don't touch my body. And there's a place for that. We've been told by our ambassadors and interns and young people we work with that that's actually not language they would typically use. They would typically use, it's hard. I mean, not everyone is, (laughs) I'm an extraordinarily forthright person and I always have been. So it's less hard for me. And I sometimes forget how hard it is to be that brutally direct, even yeah. when we feel unsafe or scared. Yeah. So role play with kids, ask them for suggestions, elicit from them what they think they might be most likely to say in that scenario, rather than tell them and assume what the best language might be. I love that. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. 
super soft, lightweight with wide legs and a low crotch. All help airflow. Designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor Meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, 
no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Okay, so now we got the first two. Your kid's walking out the door. There's the drug conversation and specifically the fentanyl piece. There's the consent conversation. By the way, you're not going to do all five of these conversations as they're walking out the door. But these are good sort of, let's keep them in rotation and pick one each time they walk out the door, right? Like, hey, love you. Drive safely. By the way, you know, that's what I do. By the way, P.S. Yeah. And by the way, Car's not fooling anyone, most especially her kids, when she takes that casual tone. They're like, uh-huh, great. Keep going, exactly. mom. Right, exactly. Yeah. They keep on walking. But they're <laughs> listening, Vanessa. Yes, they if they're listening. still in the room, they are still listening. Don't forget yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so number so the three. Third, the third is the conversation about making sure that a kid has a safe way home. And I want to pull the lens back on that a little bit and broaden it to if they're living at your house, what is the actual way they're going to get home? If they're living in a dorm or uh, maybe they're doing a homestay somewhere on an exchange program, like home is where they are sleeping. You know, Have they thought through how their evening is going to end? That's one piece to it. And then another piece to it is the buddy system piece. Right. Does someone have your back when you are not at home. If you're at a party, have you agreed with at least one person that you're going to look out for each other? Do you have each other? I love find friends on the iPhone because people can add each other and then they can have each other's backs without the person in their friend circle on the phone needing to reach out. There's like, there's sort of this safety net of it. And it's funny because Life360, which a lot of people use to track their kids, kids actually use to be able to find each other right. and track each other for a similar purpose. So one of the things, so Car talked about, make sure your kid knows a plan for how they're getting home and what your parameters might be. So do they have a curfew? Are they allowed to use Uber? Are they taking an Uber alone or with someone else? If someone is driving them, have you had the conversation about, and this is actually becoming less and less common, although I don't think it's completely irrelevant, which is like, you don't get in a car with someone who's been drinking or doing drugs. And by the way, kids, you might not realize this, but if someone just smoked a joint, they're not a safe person to drive you home because... Can I jump in? Yes. <laughs> there are only two of us. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. I, let I, me just see if anyone else has anything to say yeah, before anyone, you jump anyone? in. Anyone? Okay. okay go for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Bueller, Bueller. So uh, we literally had this conversation last night as we were doing the dishes. By the way, an excellent place to have these conversations yes. because no eye contact, right? There's yes. such annoyance. Hands are busy. Eyes Hands are, are busy. Elsewhere. They're pissed that they have to do the dishes. And so like... Yeah, they're a great audience for knowing conversations. Right? Yes. But this was literally our dishwashing conversation last night was 
I can't remember how it came up, but the comment was made. Some of my friends are mistakenly under the impression that driving when high is safer than driving when drunk. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. It was a correct statement. And yet it was a statement looking for either, yeah, that's right. And here's why, or no, that's wrong. And we had a great conversation about why, yes, that's right. That's very right. That driving high and driving drunk are different, but dangerous, both of them. They are both extremely dangerous. And, you know, we'll do an episode on why. Right. So that is an explicit and important piece of information. If you're waiting for a ride, if you're going to be somewhere, where do you wait for your ride? Do you wait inside? Is it safe to wait outside? Do they know not to start walking somewhere on their own in the dark? If they've parked in a parking garage, have you had a conversation about how to be safe in a garage? If you're getting picked up by a ride share, you know, what are the things that you can do? One of our kids' friends taught me she was in ninth grade and her parents were comfortable having her use rideshare. Different people have different parameters around that. But they came up with the system that worked for them that made them comfortable. I thought it was a really interesting system. The system was she used Uber. They were on her Uber account. So they got notified when she asked for a ride, what the car was, who the driver was. Then she would take out her phone when the car appeared and take a picture of the license plate in a way such that the driver could see her doing that. Mm -hmm. And then she would get in the car and she would literally call a parent and say, I just texted you a picture of the license plate, which was a series of deterrents. If this was going to be a dangerous driver, whatever that means to you, this was her way of making it clear to the driver, I am someone who is connected to someone else right now. So don't mess with me. I know kids who are on the phone when they're in ride shares, right? Right. I personally think they shouldn't be in ride shares alone if they don't have to be. Sometimes they have to be, but if they can buddy up, I think that's better. And one comment about going to the bathroom, and we'll get to drugs and alcohol and decision-making in a second, but I recommend to people not to go to bathrooms themselves at clubs or at big parties where there are lots and lots of people. It's easy to get lost. It's easy to get separated from people. It's easy to find yourself in really uncomfortable, scary situations. So again, buddy up when going to the bathroom or getting some fresh air or whatever it is. You do not want to find yourself alone in any of these situations. That's right. That's right. If you can help it. If you can if help you it. can okay. help it. And so that takes us to alcohol and drugs plus This is number four. This is number four because Kara needs order and um I structure do. in her life. I do. I'm a list maker. <laughs> I am too. Alcohol and drugs. So this is a two-part conversation because part of it is about the dangers of alcohol and drugs, which we've had some of that conversation in number one, fentanyl. But this is important because it's about how alcohol and drugs can affect and make our decision-making worse than it would be had we not ingested or smoked something. And the most effective way into this conversation that I have found, and I don't know if this is how you have towed into it, Vanessa, but I find that regardless of who the kid is, how much risk-taking they do, how inclined they are to want to use or not want to use, 
the way in that feels like it works the best is to say, hey, do you know what alcohol actually does to the brain? Do you know why cocktail parties exist and why people walk into a party, walk to the bar, grab a drink, take a few sips, and then start talking? Because that normalizes it. You're not shaming or blaming the kid. What you're doing is you're saying, this adult behavior exists for a reason. Alcohol lifts the veil. Alcohol makes you just, it's a social lubricant. It makes you just a little more likely to engage in a conversation with someone you might not have. Or when you're in a conversation with someone who you're normally in a conversation, to say something in a way that feels looser, lighter, easier, and it's effective. It's effective. We have a whole social system set up around the effectiveness of alcohol as a social lubricant, right? That is a really great way in. Because you're what you're doing is recognizing the appeal of it, right? The <laughs> folks from behind their screens encourage us to talk about or acknowledge what can feel positive or appealing about something before we dive into the negative. And in this case, yeah, it's appealing. It makes you feel more relaxed. You maybe you think you're funnier or more fun. Or in my case, I'm a better pool player if I've had a couple of drinks, for instance. So acknowledging that and acknowledging that it's not a kid thing and it's not yeah. us, you know, saying, oh, you dumb kids, it's an everybody thing. So that we're not, we're not going on high. The other thing that I like to kind of investigate with my kids is like, instead of saying people make shitty decisions when they have been drinking, I like to say, what do you notice about people's behavior when they've had well, a bunch to drink? That's exactly right. So what that entry point into the conversation lets you do is it lets you go from lecturing, people make different types of decisions when they're drinking, to letting the kid get to, you know, which is why people make different decisions when they're drinking. And there's, you know, having a small amount of alcohol and there's having a large amount of alcohol and having that conversation around the difference between the types of decisions. One of the things our interns have said to us over and over, and they said it on one of the podcasts that we did with them. It was so well stated, so profound because it was very simple. Consent, we're going back up to point two, consent. Consent requires that no one is intoxicated. Legal consent requires that no one is intoxicated in that conversation. And what our interns remind us is that in college, at least, that is a very rare scenario, especially when people are meeting up at a party and the party has free-flowing alcohol. And so decision-making with any substance in the body, but we're using alcohol in this particular conversation, we know legally those decisions don't hold up. But we also know that if you've got two people in a physical interaction or an emotional or social interaction and they've been drinking, it almost doesn't matter what the law is insofar as we need to teach our kids that their behavior matters. You see what I mean? Like it matters. If the law says you can't give or get consent with alcohol, well, then you don't want kids to go, well, I'm drinking, so therefore I don't need to worry about consent. You want to arm your kids with really clear reasons why they may not want to engage in certain behaviors when they're intoxicated. 
this is a confusing point. It's a really confusing point. But if you can't give or get consent, we still want to keep them safe. And so we still want to keep them sexually safe. We want to keep them physically safe. We want to keep them not behind the wheel of a car. So how do you do that? You teach them that they make decisions differently when they're intoxicated and how not to make poor decisions when they're intoxicated. And just because legally you can't get consent doesn't mean kids aren't hooking up all over uh, the United a, States having that's right. drunk too much or it, smoked it, something or whatever. I mean, that's, that's what the interns were talking about. They were saying it's an impossible standard because yes. the schools are very, very clear about how to give and get consent. And yet the reality looks really different. And they, on that episode, begged for clarity around this. And so here's the clarity around this. Talk to kids about how different substances impact their decision-making so that they can keep themselves and the other people around them or the strangers on the road or whoever it is safe. You know, there's the legal piece and then there's the everything else. And understanding you have enough conversations about decision-making with your kids over time they're going to make good decisions when they're intoxicated. They will. It's in there if you keep talking about it and if you acknowledge it in a way that they can hear. So that gets us to our last point, which is the one point I gave this person at the talk I gave the other night, which is, and I say this to my kids, this is the one thing I say every single time my kids leave the house. So this is not a on the rotation. This is an every single time. And it is no matter what, no matter where you are or what you've done, no matter who you're with, you can always call me. I will always pick up the phone and I will always come and help you, no matter what. And I think I told this story recently, but I'll just say it again. I've been telling my oldest that probably for seven or eight years. And only this fall, I mean, he's called me many times over the years, but only this fall, he said to me, you know, mom, you've always said to me, I can always call you. I can always call you. And like, I think I'm starting to believe that. And I've probably said it to him, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of times. So when we think our comments and our love and advice are falling on deaf ears, just remember in this particular case, it took hundreds of times for him to hear me when I said that. Yeah. And I think they're saying it and then there are the actions behind it that make them believe it. For the most part, when adults say that to kids, they don't trust it. They do think they're going to be in trouble. They do think they're going to be sort of caught red-handed. So when, because it's not an if, it's a when, when a kid screws up and doesn't reach out or does, that's the teachable moment, right? Hey, I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed with what you did, or I'm this, or I'm that. I've always said, and I want you to hear me, my job is to have your back. So you can always call me. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes they really do things to test the limits. <laughs> let me I say. What, I don't know what you're talking about. Although I did get a call the other night. It was like really late. I was in bed. I had my mouth garden because I grind my teeth. And I answered the phone and I was like panicked. And it turned out it was just a loving phone call from a college kid who wanted to connect. And then he looked, took one look at me in my nightgown and my mouth guard. And he was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. 
Bye. I want to add one point, which is lots of families, and I think this is great and I'm guilty of not having one, but a lot of families have a code word so that if their kid is calling them and needs help but can't say, hey, I need you to come get me or I'm in a lot of trouble or I don't know what to do, families have code words so they can say, you know, oh, this hot chocolate stinks. And then the parent knows. Okay. I have to tell you a funny code word story. (laughs) I was is really yours porn. Co- I bet yours is porn. No, no. You're going to laugh at what mine is because it's going to take you back to tiny bowls of ice cream. So our code word when my kids were much younger was pasta. I don't know why it was pasta, but it was pasta. And the idea was, you know, if you ever needed to get out of a situation, you could call and work pasta into a sentence and I would jump in the car and go, right? Pasta is not a great word because it does not work into sentences seamlessly. And so one of my kids tried it one night and it just bungled. I mean, you know, try doing that. So I learned from another mom, one really great, great code strategy is to use the family pet. Mm. And I love this. So you can say, so I have two dogs, Pete and Bean. And as Ozzy likes to say, what is the third one, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> and Pete and Bean are very, everyone loves how badly behaved they are. They're the worst dogs in the neighborhood, like by far. They're the Car worst. Car and dogs. I have really well behaved children and really terribly behaved dogs. <laughs> and I will take that trade off. I will take that trade off. But, you know, what we landed on when pasta failed miserably was if they needed an out, the call was, is. Pete doing okay? And then I say, no, he's really sick and I need you to come home. And that way, if they're on speaker, they're covered. And that's a wonderful, easy out. And animals, like, they would love nothing more than for you to use them as the out. There's such a good credit. And that you can use, God forbid, a grandparent is sick, but you can use anyone sort of innocuous because I think we're at the stage where we should assume that our, we're on speaker rather than assume we are not on speaker. And I think that was a really important point that I hadn't considered until this mom told yeah. me that was their strategy. Assume either if you're texting that the texts are being read or if you're yeah. speaking, you're being heard. Yeah. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure there are really important conversations we have forgotten. If you want to write to us, thepubertypodcast at gmail.com or DM us at the Puberty Podcast and let us know what you wish we had covered or what topic you think should be on the list from six to 10. And we will count up, not down for Cara's sake. Please let us know. And this weekend, take the opportunity to have a conversation with a kid that you love Try it out. See how it goes. And then you know what? You can even say to them, hey, this is my first time having that conversation with you. How did I do? How was it? Anything I forgot? Anything that was super awkward? We're all looking for a five-star review. (laughs) And we never get them from our kids, but that's okay. (laughs) Thanks, Cara. Bye, Vanessa. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts. Or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. 
And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.